Hi everyone and welcome to the interview at Fountain Inc. I'm Nandini Krishnan and this episode we'll be speaking to Amandeep Sandhu, the author of the novels Sepia Leaves and Roll of Honor, the latter of which was shortlisted for the Hindu Best Fiction Award, as well as the work of non-fiction Punjab Journeys Through False Lines published in 2019. He is currently on a Homi Bhava Fellowship working on yet another non-fiction book about Sikhs based outside Punjab but within India. With no further ado, let's go right to Amandeep Sandhu. So, hi Aman, welcome to Foundering. Thank you so much for being here with us. It's always been a pleasure here. Yeah? Even the last time the interview came out so well. So, it's but it's been actually more than a decade since we did that interview and you were writing an entirely different genre of book back then, I think. Apparently, yes. At my level, I do not really write very different books. But at the publishing and marketing level, they are projected as different books. You know, like so there's a game going on there. Yeah. In a way, Punjab has been with you for a long time, right? From Sipia Leave through Roll of Honor. Exactly. Punjab was always there. But then I, I, I was thinking about how your childhood was largely outside Punjab. Much of your adulthood has been outside Punjab. But then still there's so much of Punjab in you. And can you talk a little bit about that, like right from the fact that you, you know, learn to read the Gurmukhi script? Just a moment more on that writing itself. I mean, like, see, the first two novels were largely autobiographical fiction. And the third book is a travelogue and memoir and contextual history. So autobiographical fiction and memoir, you see, the the naughtiness I am doing here, you know, I am not shifting too much from whatever ways I know how to write. But then, they, of course, the first two are fiction and the third book is the Punjab Journeys Through Fault Lines is non-fiction. Now, there is Punjab in me, yes, because however dysfunctional my home might be, which is in sepia leaves, you do imbibe Punjab when you are far away from Punjab. You know, I say I don't have an Aadhaar card, a bank account, a land recorded by name in Punjab. But a sensibility is shaped by the stories you are hearing about that land far away. And also, I think, something to do with religion here. Because at least the Sikh religion is was founded on the principles of justice and equality. And so you, you imbibe that sense in. And I learned Gurmukhi when I was, as an adolescent, in a boarding school in Punjab, in the dark decade and a half. So... Punjab's militancy and separatism and all that. And uh, I'm very glad that my school almost forced me to learn Gurmukhi because it comes in handy now. Though I can't write very well in it, but uh, at least I can read quite fluently and I can understand everything almost that I hear, barring a few dialectical differences, which are true for any language. And that helped me do the Punjab book when I was traveling the whole book was actually slowly getting written in my head in Punjabi. So I say it also in the book that it is actually a, a translation of what I received in Punjabi and I'm giving it out in English. And when the book came out in Punjabi, I said this is now a second level translation. Original level is English, is Punjabi, then translation is English and then it has gone back to the original. So it's a second translation. It's an interesting process, I think. Recently, we translated, after 15 years, we translated Sepia Leans and brought it in Punjabi. And 
the language just feels so real. The schizophrenic, I mean, diagnosed schizophrenic mother, when she curses, English just doesn't carry it like that. You know that curse. You know, like that, that, that anger, that the the way her mind is bursting. But Punjabi could capture that because she was originally bursting in Punjabi. Though both uh, both sepia leaves and roll of honor are autobiographical fiction, I think somewhere you had a bit of a buffer in that uh, you had a character and you you had characters. They might have been based on real people and real experiences, but somewhere I think there's at least a layer of protection. I think that way Punjab was the royal book I read from you because there's no buffer. Everything is real in a different way. Like there's no. You are there as a sort of translucent filter, but there's no filter for you. You're seeing everything. Was it uh, the hardest book to write in that sense? About buffer and rawness. I mean, you hit the right point. It did affect me deeply. I went into depression, you know, and as I crawled out of depression, the book also happened. So it is almost that the book was the the ladder in the well, which I was using to come out of my own depression as well. But that said. Personally, having done two fiction books and now on my second non-fiction book, I think that fiction is a better way to tell the truth than non-fiction. I I I felt both your fiction books were very political, um, and they were so only because they were sati. Like, yeah, it, that's the point. I'm saying I do not benefit from getting banned. Mm-hmm. I do not benefit from a group rising up and saying down with this book. As a writer, you don't want all that. Yeah, of course not. <laughs> you are not a journalist. You are. You, I mean, I am a journalist in another role, but I'm not an activist per se. Yeah, activists could could do things to generate opposition. But writers seeds things into their text, which flower in time. You know, isn't that a nice way of of dealing with? With the harshness of life that is around us, you know, this is something. Maybe it's a personal question, but you know, in role of honor for me, one of the most striking moments was when, as a teenager, uh, the narrator, you know, starts wearing his identifiers again, starts growing his hair out long, and this I know is something. And you spoke about it in the interview that it is something you yourself did as a teenager or a little older. and when we started speaking about the punjab book like very early on you were speaking about how you were going to tell their stories the stories of the people and then somewhere maybe it was during the farmers protest or a little earlier you started using the pronoun our stories we we seeks and somewhere i guess you become more punjabi and more sikh in the process of all your writing on it oh punjab I said in the love of the book as well. Um, it, it, the quest started as a hole in my heart because I had been living outside Punjab uh, since 98 for 25 years since militancy came down in 95. And and so I had a hole in my heart as I say now. I mean, but I didn't think of it at that. Now I can say, but. And I went to understand Punjab for myself, and I returned with empathy for Punjab. So, if in that process I have become more Punjabi or more Sikh, I'm happy to be one because it's not about connecting back with your land alone. It's about understanding that the very quest I had in Sepia Leaves, that my mother's story is not told, I have a similar quest now. 
that the story of the Sikhs is not told. And as a writer, I just want to tell the stories. You know, that's all I want to do. You know, so the farmer protest is important because if you look at stories and discourses and narratives, I personally feel that in the early 80s, it was the the Punjab lost its narrative. You know, the Delhi media, you know, it, it really trampled over the narrative of Punjab because, of course, there was partition, there was displacement, there were all the mayhem of that. But then there was the Green Revolution, which started feeding the rest of the country. And then you realize that it was the DMK government in Tamil Nadu. In 1969, they constitute the Raja Manar panel report, right? Which basically asked for greater powers for states who were the center. And the Anandpur Saab resolution came out in 1972, which also asked for greater power to states. But Delhi's center became very insecure about it. So the Delhi media went behind Punjab and it went behind Tamil Nadu as well. You know, so, I mean, this is very interesting that two ends of India almost, their journey in the vis-a-vis Delhi has been very similar. So I found that in 1984, especially, Punjab lost its narrative with the Operation Star, the assassination of Mrs. Gandhi, with the anti-Sikh pogrom, genocide, you know. And... It is only the farmers protest that the Punjab could stitch its own narrative back together. It took Punjab 35 years to be able to do that. Because what is it that prevailed in the farmers' protest? There was Godi media on one side trying to completely slander the protest as Khalistanis, separatists, anti-nationals. And here was Punjab's local Punjab, Haryana, Western Uttar Pradesh, Rajasthan, all the farmers. It was their local media which was countering the Bodhi media's propaganda. And finally, it is this media that predicted the local media. My engagement with the protest came from that reason. I wanted to help or, or be part of Punjab bringing up its narrative again. And, and you told me that, you know, because I was following your Facebook posts at that time and through the through every single day and you would write these, it was almost a chapter a day because obviously I didn't have access to the local media. And so you were my local media, you know, sitting there every day. You and you had family members also there who were actually serving food at the protests. And to be part of that, I mean, you were you were watching, you were observing, but at some point, all the borders, the boundaries are broken and you're part of this whole movement which is, it somehow galvanized Sikh farmers to the extent that it forced a rollback from a government which otherwise is so unbending on everything I mean this, it actually brought the centre down to its knees and how did it do that? You know, let's keep the militaristic metaphors away because I mean we live in a regime like that but uh, it is true that the right-wing BJP government, especially under Mr. Modi, has never taken back anything. Mm. And they had to take back the farm laws. Yeah, It might be political compulsion because they didn't care about the 730 people who died in the protests. But it was, of course, UP elections coming up and, you know, they're realizing that they might be losing ground support. Uh, and it was the resilience and the persistence of the farmers of North India, which basically forced the rollback. There's, there's no doubt about it. My role here was that I had, in 2019, and my book Punjab came out. And then the NTCA protest started. Then COVID happened, you know. So when the farmers' protest happened in the middle of COVID, the end of 2020, uh, November 2020, or actually September 2020 in Punjab, uh, a lot of media started reading my book 
to understand Punjab, you know. And a lot of foreign universities started contacting me to speak about the father's protest. And I realized that A, the history of this, the background of this protest is lying in the book. And the protest has been conducted in Hindi and Punjabi, mostly. So how do you speak to a larger Indian and audience abroad? You need English language. And then now this is where narration comes in. Now, how authentically can you report the protest without adding masala to it, you know, without without prejudice, but politically tilted towards the farmers? Because this was now a battle of narratives and you had to take a stance. So I played that role. In fact, after the protest, I calculate, I just for myself, I, I saved all those posts and it came to one lakh twenty five thousand words. You know, it was a whole book in itself, you know. Even during the protest, I had said that all these posts of mine, which would get huge viral response, I had said, don't attribute my name to it, don't tag me on it, because it was just too much pain to be tagged on every Facebook and every friend is tagging you. I'm like, don't tag me, don't name me, just use it. It's information, any information. We had coded it as day number so-and-so. So it was known that which day it would be. I would get back my own posts as WhatsApp forwards, you know, and I'm like, okay, good, people are reading. Because that, what is your role as a writer? I mean, of course, you write your books. But here is a political situation in a region that you have worked on. And now there is a there is a crisis here. There's a protest going on here. I think as a writer, you should also then be a journalist. You know? I got calls from Delhi. I went down to report on the protest. I mean, the major big features big features that happened on the protest were, were mine. So it was very interesting. I mean, like, and was very scary because we all know what happened in Punjab. We all know how harsh can be the arm of the government. Oh, we all know what is police action. It was very organic. It, I went to Manipur recently. What's going on there is catastrophic for India's democracy. It's not being reported. But I was asking both sides, the Maithis and the Cookies, I said, how do you organize yourself? And they said it is community support, you know. And it was community support for the farmers who was coming from every village of Punjab and Ariana and part of Rajasthan and West. You know, we've spoken a lot about what Punjab is to Sikhs living outside, but what are Sikhs living outside to Punjab? I'm talking about both the international diaspora and the Sikhs living in other parts of India. Uh, what is their relevance to the people of Punjab? The relevance of the external diaspora is huge in Punjab because most of Punjab wants to run away and become external diaspora. <laughs> because uh, post-militancy also, it's been over 25 years now. Punjab has not healed from its All the three parties who have made form governments there have all betrayed Punjab. There is a complete erosion of systems in the state. There's a complete erosion of uh, political outlook that a political party needs to provide. You know, they all are like what I call rainy season frogs. You know, they all come up and during election time, they say all the right things that all the parties. In fact, on the day Punjab result came, I was talking to another newspaper and I said, this time Punjab has voted at the brink of its political possibilities. Beyond this, there is nothing. So Punjab is staring at that vacuum and to there I think it is the state government, the central government, India's democracy, all of them have not been able to address Punjab's deep fault lines. But 
it's very interesting that they only want to come to Delhi and take a flight abroad. They don't want to come beyond Delhi into the rest of India, you know, because they actually don't really know about these Punjabis here. There is a caste reason is because Punjabs, of course, we know it's the highest population of Dalits, but the narrative of Punjab is mostly a land-owning community narrative, the Jat narrative. And most of these who are outside are the trader class, you know, and mutually, the Jats and the trader class, they look down on you. Because the trader class believes that the Jats are not very educated and not very soft. And the Jats believe that anybody who doesn't work on land is not a Sikh. But largely speaking, when you talk about what discourses are going out to the world, then these days it is, of course, the diaspora discourse. Which, but there is, of course, the Punjab discourse. But the discourse of these people who live outside Punjab, one-fifth of the community has been largely unheard till now. You know, where does 1984 happen? It happens in the cow belt. We all look at 1984 as this ghastly time for the Sikhs. But look at Tamil Nadu. You know, the local government saved the Sikhs. Look at Karnataka. The local government, Karunanidhi was there. Hegde was here. N.T. Ramarao was in Hyderabad. You know, Biju Patnaik was in Odisha. They all saved the Sikhs. This is also a narrative that should come out, you know. My whole idea about writing is that why should there be only one story? Why shouldn't we have diversity? You know, you were speaking about, like, see, there's so much, like, Khalistan is so much in the news recently because of all these killings of the people whom uh, we refer to in the media or in India, or the Indian government refers to as militants or terrorists and with who are referred to as leaders in the in the communities from which they, where they have been killed. And I think it's also the re referendum which was held uh, in Canada where, you know, people who have never seen probably their land, this land from which their ancestors came outside of holidays to grandparents' homes, perhaps not even that, are voting for the creation of a separate country to which they might never move. And this whole thing obviously has symbolic significance. What relevance does it have in in reality? No, there are around five referendums done until now, even in Australia, even in Italy, I think. See, nation-making is a very, very different process from only wanting to make a nation, from only aspiring for a nation, yeah. you know. Of course, nations are imagined communities. There is, that is established, that we know. A set of people decide that, okay, this is our country. India itself came into existence in 1947. All that it was all over you know, there were rulers here, there were regions here, there were all sorts of things. Yeah. So, I I mean, often compare if we have to, like, because there is a um, there is a direct relevance as we talked about earlier, I think we should look at, say, the Tamil wish to create an Elam state in Jaffna, mm -hmm. you know. Both uh, the Khalistan movement and the Jaffna, the Elam, they, they were at the same time. You know? But that was localized, but, I guess. I mean, that's the difference. Even Punjab was localized. I mean, like... Ah, when it happened the, here. I'm talking about... Yeah, yeah. Localized, yeah. yeah. But look at what the Elam did. You know, They created a structure for themselves of administration, of education, of justice. You know? But the Khalistan movement could not create any such structure for itself. And still the Elam... Finally, a genocide happens. And the Khalistan movement also disintegrates at some point. You know? But many who left Punjab in that period, the 80s and early 90s, many took 
political asylum at will. Indian politicians helped many escape, and they were escaping from both the system, the police, as well as from the militants, you know. They all take memories of that India with them there. Today, you know how caste has become an issue in the United States. So when South Indians go, they carry caste with them there. When Sikhs go, they carry the idea of a brutal Indian state with them there. So that knowledge of how Indian state is, they give to their next generations. And given the whole, say, recent, like the BLM movement that happens, Black Life Matters, you know, or all these other sub-nationalities rising in the West, the Sikh next generation also identifies with those sub-nationalities. So it thinks, okay, it's a valid fight to fight. You know, it's, you know we should have our homeland. So they are growing with that idea. And it is not that India is assuaging Punjab's problems here, solving Punjab's problems. If during Anandpur Sahib resolution, there were three or four main problems. Post-militancy, there were five or seven problems. Today, there are 10 or 11 core problems of Punjab. For example, agriculture no longer being profitable. Education system failing. You know, health services compromised. Lack of job opportunities. Drug trafficking. Influx of people from other states and ownership of land, demography changing. You know, like there are issues in Punjab. The whole extrajudicial killings during the militancy movement never really addressed. Now, every three or four months, there's a new case comes up. Oh, so-and-so, you know, IG was involved. I mean, recently there was a case. Otherwise, there was an inspector involved, you know. Just recently, there is a report which was suppressed in 1999 of perhaps the most visible Sikh, visible in the sense of like the head of the Al-Tak, the, the Sikh throne of justice, you know. He being expertly killed in, 1990, in 1992 and the report suppressed and now it is revealed. So unless India is seen as giving justice to Punjab and to the Sikhs, and I'm talking about Hindu killings as well, I mean, not like both sides die. The image outside Punjab will remain of India being a brutal state. And all these guys who are escaping from here are going there, Why? Why do they want to live in sub-zero temperatures, work three jobs a day, not being able to meet their rents, going back to community kitchens to eat food? Basically because they can't live in Punjab, where the poverty is even greater. So why would these people, when they get a fig leaf of a referendum, why would they not say, yeah, 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 we should have another country? They're just saying that. They're not making a nation there. It's not sedition per se, because I mean, Various countries go through referendums, some referendums win, some don't win. Scotland, they did win it. Like, so it's okay. But they were not like called anti-national or terrorist and all that. I think Indian, the powers in India need to be more assured about India as a nation. Then they won't feel so insecure about things happening there. But, and I must add this, in my understanding, since 1995, when militancy ended in Punjab, in spite of the Supreme Court ruling that Khalistan is not a negative word, it can be invoked, provided it is not, you know, it's not used to organize people and actually kill people or violence. Peacefully, it can be used. The Indian government has kept the specter of Khalistan alive all over so that it can mold emotion for the own electorate. That is what they're trying. You know, we've spoken, we've mentioned the Green Revolution and 
and and you've heard, I've heard you speak about it multiple times over the years and you also and and that's a very very different thing from that is actually on ground that is relevant to people's everyday lives so many decades later Khalistan has moved into the specter of dream slash nightmare but both of these you use the term misrevolution for both of these movements could you talk a little bit about how because i mean the green revolution has created a green genocide now in punjab right the it has sucked up the water from the ground it has turned the land barren a huge amount of fertilizer much above stated ratios has to be put into the soil to be able to get this bumper crops out you don't get prices for it there are diseases galore in punjab with land dividing now in families over generations you know the holdings have become even smaller and today in agriculture in punjab is not profiting you know so it might have fed the country for 50 years but punjab is devastated so i call it a misrevolution because the revolution should succeed or not succeed you know it can fail as well but if it creates all these other issues then it's a misrevolution and similar for khalistan i mean the, the demand was valid the call was valid and say the demand was for reorganizing center state relationships the demand was against mrs gandhi's emergency i mean the greatest number of people who got imprisoned at that time were the sikhs was the kali party was the only party who stood against them however much these other parties might try to take credit for it today 50 years later and then the government engineered this whole water issue about rivers there and then it escalated into other things and who suffered the most it is the punjabis who suffered the most so it's not about that revolution succeeding or losing it's about it creating so much havoc there so that's why i call it a misrep you know you also mentioned the dalits uh, briefly during this interview and it's something that you know that you say say that that's the largest population of dalits anywhere is in punjab where it's more than 50% if i'm right No, no, it's thirty-one percent largest percentage of right. the population because there are states like you. Ah, no, but yeah, we put up ten times more than this. Though the population might be twenty. Oh, no, the share, their, their share, yeah, yeah, share of yeah. population. Okay, so then, what is happening with the Dalit politics? Because we don't hear much about it outside. It's very hard to answer it briefly because it's a whole field in itself. but the very interesting glimmer was just before this election in punjab when congress nominated a dalit chief minister of punjab you know like charanjit singh channi and i think he was it was a master stroke you know it is just that the ground reality had changed the farmers were out to punish both traditional parties in punjab and of course aap came up with its you know lovely slogans and all that that the vote went so much to aap because it was punishment all traditional leaders all stalwarts lost right from the padals to the majithias to the siddhus to the everybody lost like so congress and akali dal were decimated and of course there was that enforcement directed case against chenni's nephew and like so so that was a very interesting shift in punjab politics because i thought that either makes sunil jakhar the the chief minister you know because he's a hindu face i mean why should punjab have only jat chief ministers you know bring new other people I and mean, they are all punjabis or i mean and interestingly ambika soni shot down sunil jakhar and now he has gone off to bjp but dalit face was very interesting because here is they have a scene 
in politics, in policy formation, in giving grants to people. But that also was unfortunately short, you know. So the Dalit, Dalit situation is is very large to contain in this interlinked between to separate you and that or talk to a Dalit scholar or it. But uh, largely they remain underrepresented, they remain exploited and and then there is the data politics because these Dalits are also discriminated against by the mainstream Sikhs, you know. So they flock to Deras. And recently there has been this whole news about Christianity spreading in Punjab, though it is not borne out by numbers, you know. Because even the the bishop of Punjab is unhappy with these evangelical, you know, speakers who go around holding big, big ceremony. The conversions are not too many, but it's actually even robbing the church of its day, you know, and spreading all these lies about Sikhism and Hinduism. So that's the whole, but the Dalits get attracted to it because end of the day, every human being seeks dignity, seeks equality, seeks justice. And if they don't get it in one system, they look at another. If they don't get it there, they look at a third one. This is an ongoing process all over the world. As we wrap up this interview for today, is there anything you'd like to tell our listeners? Like, what would you say about Punjab or what would you say they should do? When you look at the Sikh question, you know, which is in all the international headlines today, get a holistic picture of the Sikhs. Please understand that they are the foremost uh, builders of empires and nations. Even in India, you look at Punjab as supplying farmers and soldiers, you know. Those are the two things. that. But look at transporters. You know, 80% of our freight travels on trucks inland. There were no roads. There were no inns. There were jungles and there were deserts. And these Sikhs were carrying transport material around the country. I think they were stitching the country. You know, when soldiers were winning you Kashmir and, you know, Poonch and Ladakh and Kohima and, and the Andamans, and, and they were defining these boundaries. And the farmers were feeding you for 50 years. It was the transporters who were going around the country, stitching the country together, taking material from air up there. Look at what this dynamic community, which has served the nation so well, how is it being treated now as a pawn in a larger chess game where you want to polarize opinions around them and win elections in the country. We saw this happen in 84, the Congress did it. We don't want to see it happen again with another pocket. Thank you, Aman. Then there's a request to the audience. Please suggest me a name. What should I call these people who live outside Punjab and within India? That is a good wrap up. <laughs>